0: All right, everybody, it is Sunday, meaning it's This Week in Climate Startups.
1: But first, another edition of VC Sunday School. Molly Wood is wrapping up her first quarter, her first 90 days as an investor. And as we go into the second quarter, she's got a bunch of deals that she's pursuing, and we're starting to close some deals in the climate space. But we're going to talk about what comes before you close the deal, which is deal flow, both inbound people emailing you as an investor and then hunting the outbound where the magic happens.
0: And then I interview who I'm calling the Pied Piper of climate tech. I'm so excited about this. I've been listening to him forever. Jason Jacobs of My Climate Journey. It is an awesome whirlwind of an interview.
2: And it's going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Rocket. To hire in today's competitive market, you need outstanding recruiting. Rocket's expert recruiters paired with ML candidate matching set them apart from the rest. Get 20% off your first placement at GetRocket.com slash twist. Embroker's startup insurance program helps startups secure the most important types of insurance at a lower cost with less hassle. Save up to 20% off of traditional insurance today at Embroker.com slash twist. While you're there, get an extra 10% off using offer code TWIST. And OpenPhone. As a startup founder, a lot of mistakes are easy to roll back, but using your personal cell phone number as your company number isn't one of them. OpenPhone makes it easy to get business phone numbers for you and your team right on top of your existing devices. Visit openphone.co/slash twist to get 20% off your first six months. Hey, everybody, it's time for everybody's
1: favorite. Segment of the week, PC Sunday School. Molly, Sunday what's on School. your mind uh, in month three or four now, starting month um, four, being an investment? I would
0: definitely like to say that as of right this second, literally, you're hearing this on Sunday or Monday, Monday mm. marks my official one quarter, like my 90 right. days. First I started on January 4th, yeah. had a full on quarter. Great. Right. I got four, I have four companies in the mix. Great. In some form. There you go. I know, and definitely. Uh, you're uh, officially
1: going to be off probation, uh, VC probation. Are Thanks. you going to learn my last name?
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. what's <laughs> your last name? Is it W? Uh, this is going
1: right. to be
0: huge for me. It's going to um, be so huge. So VC Sunday School, yes. I mean, this is so great because all these issues are coming up in real time. And uh, one of the things that we do at our firm is is cultivate a lot of inbound sure. and have a lot of conversations about outbound. Mm -hmm. And we have an interview coming up soon with Dave Samuels in which we talked about the warm intro. That's like a very common sort of thing that happens in VCs. Obviously, a lot of what we do is about deal flow. So what I wanted to ask you about today specifically is this idea of inbound versus outbound and the best way to get companies like we're lucky. Sure. A lot comes to us, but you can turn over a lot of rocks in life and find cool companies there, too.
1: I fully believe that like you're only as good as your deal flow when you're an investor. And so at the start of my career, I was lucky having been a former journalist and known a lot of people and having been a blogger and having had a podcast or having done uh, the media for a long time as an editor and a publisher. I just knew a lot of people. And so Mm -hmm. when I put the shingle out and said, hey, I am a Sequoia scout. I'm making these little bets. You know, I started to get some deal flow. But then I was like, not enough. And I had been doing events, etc. So I started open angel forum where I just said I'm looking for six or seven companies to present for three or four minutes each to 10 angels. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to use those angels reputations and bringing 10 people together to increase my deal flow and uh, fantastically at uh, open angel forum, my friend Travis came and pitched Uber and three people invested cyan first round myself. Uh, Chris Sokka used to come uh, to this event. Uh, Matt Mullenweg would come, and just anybody who was making small bets, Matt works at uh, Creative WordPress. And so that juiced the uh, number of deals I would see. And mm-hmm. you want to uh, put a shingle out and build a brand as a VC, and there's many different places where startups emerge from. It's not that you have to all go after the same deal flow. It's just you have to have some deal flow. Now, if you're Sequoia and you get a job working as a partner at Sequoia, well, everybody wants to visit Sequoia's offices, uh, and so you can draft on that brand. But, uh, you know, and, and, and you, to a certain extent, get to uh, leverage the deals we already have or that people already know this podcast, so that's great. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, going out and strategically contacting founders is a great thing to do. So that's what I've charged a lot of uh, our young guns here at launch is, hey, I want you to go out there and hunt. It's not enough to just follow up with all the people emailing me or trying to get to me. Go ahead and look for SaaS companies and email them cold or ask other investors if they've invested in an interesting SaaS company. So since we have the SaaS syndicate, we're doing that. And we have a practice area now for climate,
0: and you're doing that. So
1: I think, you know, at the early stages of your career, it's great to
0: do outreach. Yeah. Yeah. And to be fair, although we have a great reputation, and a lot of people know you, lunch doesn't have a history a long history and climate and i am sort of contemplating mm-hmm. like how do i go out there and really like yeah. track these people down yeah
1: and, and you know they're out there you know people um there are other climate investors so breaking bread and building relationships with other investors sending them and i talk about this in at angel university the course i teach all the time hey listen if you know the 10 people who invested in calm with you and you email them, hey, I invested in com.com with you. I have this uh, new company I'm looking at. It's called Steezy and this other one, Fitbot. And they're kind of consumer subscriptions as well. Would you like an introduction? Here's a snapshot. Um, and hey, do you have any interesting companies you're investing in right now? Mm-hmm. The reciprocity effect kicks in. You're offering something, somebody's going to want to reciprocate and thank you for that. And sometimes they'll buy a cup of coffee. Okay, nice, but no big deal. What you really want is, hey, know any great companies and so early in my career i would just email random folks founders i knew know of any interesting founders now today there's so many founders out there and we're so high profile we get you know a deluge and we're, we're really have to sort well and make sure we don't miss something that's coming mm-hmm. in that's really the sin when you become a super router is having a bad sorting ability and losing a deal because it just went by your inbox too fast and you know that that's the challenge. So many different ways to build up that deal flow. Uh, A lot of people are copying what we're doing here in terms of starting a podcast, a blog. Those are ways to put your shingle out there, be active on Twitter, and and kind of build a persona. But I do like the idea of just deftly cold emailing folks, hey, I'm a VC, I see what you're doing and personalizing it. I think most VCs are too proud and too lazy to do that. I think it's a Mm. super weapon for your first couple of years as a VC.
0: I wonder, too, when you I mean, you talk about inbound and the fear of missing something because there is like this fire hose of companies coming at us every day, which is amazing. Right. That feels like such a gift. Um, But is that why you think some not everybody takes inbound to that extent because it's overwhelming or they're afraid they're going to miss a deal? Like, how do you think about filters, if at all? I mean, it seems to me yeah. more is better.
1: I more is better, but. It is one of these things where people generally uh, have too much inbound and then they get to a point of VC entitlement that I found incredibly annoying, where people uh, will do a tweet storm uh, or write a blog post or go on a tirade. If you're contacting me, you should be uh, you should have five customers and you should have raised a seed round. I don't do seed. I do series A only and I don't do biotech and I will not do consumer. But I will do mm-hmm. consumer subscription, and like the 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 founders are supposed to mind read the investor, or the they should have read the investor's blog post from seven years ago. That's twenty blog posts back, or some tweet storm they did, as if every founder is. You know, reading every single tweet that a VC does, and they need to mind read them. So I, I love when a VC gets to that VC entitlement, and they're like, "Why are you emailing me?" You know, you don't have product market fit yet. I only invest when you have post product market fit, or I only invest in SaaS, I only invest in consumer, whatever it is. So mm. um, you know, don't get high on your own supply if you're an investor. Is what I try to explain to our team: be humble, never underestimate anyone, because you do it at your peril. Mm-hmm.
0: I've
1: seen people who you know are have super gnarly pitches for really dumb products or services you know just based on your spidey sense and you know you know it's going to fail but you see the energy level you see the hustle the chutzpah the je ne sais quoi you know i don't know what to call it uh, mm-hmm. but that that's the, something the special Jared leto as adam newman exactly well you <laughs> could, it could be that it could be unbridled ability to sell it could also be an incredible design of the product so they design a product yeah. that's absolutely stunning that only three people in the world need <laughs> and two of them are the founders of the company and one of them is their cousin nobody else needs this because they yeah. just love pickup that ba- i mean i get the i get the pickup basketball or the you know finding a tennis match you know concept from everybody and it's like yeah okay i'm sure there's a thousand people this weekend who are looking for a pickup basketball game or ten thousand who are looking for a tennis match but nobody's ever built that into a big enough product that people are willing to pay for it rather than just going to the tennis club and trying to find a game or just not doing it and and maybe the matching algorithm is yet to be written and and that'll be a great startup idea but i'll see people put ten thousand hours of their time collectively you know a team of five into building the most amazing way to build a gorgeous app that matches people who want to play pick up basketball at one o'clock on sundays and nobody pays for it and it you kind of really have to keep an open mind. If they don't hit it on this startup, well, they're going to get their asses kicked and waste two or three years of their life. Waste in quotes. And then what are they going to do next? You know, or but what if it works? But
0: what if As it what works?
1: A, but what yeah. if it works? You know. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting here dogging the idea of like the tennis matching, you know, pickup basketball game matching, soccer matching. I get this pitch all the time, and and sometimes it's a really crummy product. sometimes great. But you know what, there might be an AI one, that someday, will go across the entire internet, find everybody who wants to play tennis in real time, and then just start suggesting to them, hey, here's the 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 AI and the machine learning actually solves that problem. It wasn't an app that would solve it. It wasn't SMS that would solve it, not chat rooms, not blogs, not a social network. It turned out AI and machine learning actually did it. Okay, great. But, uh, you know, until that day happens, you know, I think keep an open mind. Mm -hmm. is what I like to say. Hiring well is one of the most important things a startup can do to increase their chances of having outlier success. So if your current hiring strategies aren't working, well, Rocket can help you. Rocket is trusted by companies like Tinder, NerdWallet and Carta because it was started by former tech founders who understand how to hire at scale. Rocket was built by founders for founders, and they use machine learning to supercharge their team of 60 recruiters to help you close hires quickly and at a high quality level. They'll help you hire from freelance to executives, and this is a white glove service, folks. They're gonna save you time, they're gonna help you meet better candidates, and they're gonna lower the number of hiring mistakes. Rocket is currently helping a well-funded, early-stage API company called Rudder, R-U-T-T-E-R, and they're helping them hire across engineering, product, marketing, and sales, and it's going great. Rudder's founder had this to say, couldn't recommend a better early stage recruiting partner to work with. Here's your call to action getrocket.com slash twist and use the promo code twist for 20% off your first placement. Zero dollars required up front, so there's no risk. That's getrocket.com slash twist. And remember to use the promo code twist to save 20% off.
0: And then I am definitely, and this is like, I can already tell in quarter, in Q2 of, for me, my personal <laughs> Q2, like, that networking tab, that de- that sharing deal flow mm. is, you know, a thing to keep working on. I'm building yes. my little email list of fellow climate investors yes. that I want to like send stuff to. But how do you think about those intros? They're apparently, uh, according to producer Nick, thanks for digging up the dirt. You got into a little back and forth in 2020 about this idea of the double opt in warm uh, intro, which first of all, what is that?
1: <laughs> I, f- yeah, I find <laughs> this why like, did it a make little you so tedious. <laughs> it's just like there's a lot of like super precious folks who are like first rule of introductions, double opt-in second rule of introductions, make it easy by providing a clean email exactly as outlined by DK below. This is Jeremy Liu who's now uh, retired and flashing his BLM stop Asian hate um, hashtags in his name. This is back in 2022. And I'm just like, Twenty twenty. Yeah, twenty twenty. I'm just like, please email me. I don't care how you format the email. You don't need an introduction. Just email me the real real. Like, let's get to work. You know, like and so this is what I was talking about. Like precious VCs like get high on their own supply and they they don't want the deal flow anymore. And they don't they, you know, they've made too much money. Fantastic. But double opt-in is I want to meet Molly Wood and you know, will you introduce me to Molly? And so I forward you the person's email and say, would you like to meet this founder? my approach always is i tell people you don't need to double opt in if you want to introduce me to founder just hit reply and just cc them and I'll, i'm a big boy i can
0: yeah you know just say oh, like not that. interested. I or get, i got one of those and i didn't know it had a name but now i will totally write back to that person because i wrote back and was like yes please introduce me but really good point that i should also write back and be like by the way you don't have to ask
1: i just tell people don't, don't really. double opt in just anytime you meet a great founder introduce me Right. You don't have to ask me, just introduce me. And so now Eric Reese, who always likes to introduce founders, he just introduces me. And if I think it's great, I'll get back to them. If I don't, I'll say it's not a fit. The end, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's like, it's kind of the job. So I like less friction. Yeah. Uh, On the double opt-ins, just it's like over. But, you know, if you're a high profile person, I can understand it. I, and i, I understand sure. why people want to do double opt-in um they they might not be highly social people and you know, a social interaction if you're an introvert is exhausting and so mm-hmm. i i find it's the introverts who want the double opt-in because they don't want to say no to a company that they could have had you just not introduce them to to begin with mm-hmm. so they send you something and i don't know biotech and you're just like yeah don't do biotech but thanks so now you're telling your friend the vc i just don't do biotech thanks Boom, the end.
0: Yeah. It seems to me that as a VC, it seems to me in my brief time here that it's up to me to manage my email, my time, Mm -hmm. and my responses. Everybody else's job is to get in front of me, and I want that to happen no matter how it happens, right? Like, my job is see as much as I can possibly see. Make my horizon as big as I can possibly see it because who knows where on the horizon the unicorn sits.
1: We, you know, we say it's a numbers game for founders when we're advising them to raise their next round. It's a numbers game for uh, VCs as well. How many meetings can you do? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and the the more meetings you do, the better you get at the job. The more knowledge you have, and we have this great gift now of Zoom, where you're not trapped in a room with somebody with bad breath who's a weirdo, and you made the mistake to take this meeting, and this is like not a credible entrepreneur who's insane. Like it does happen, like that some crazy person somehow get in the room with somebody and you're like, oh my God, I'm trapped in a room with this person for an hour. This makes no sense. I, I should have read the deck ahead of time. And so it used to be VCs sometimes would just take the meeting. They'd be like, oh, Jason introduced me to them. Oh, Sokka introduced me to them. Sure, come over tomorrow at one o'clock. That's kind of mm-hmm. how the industry used to work. If somebody mm-hmm. credible sent you somebody and then they would be like, oh, um, let me show you what I'm working on. And you'd find out in the room. Now people are a little more cutthroat, right? Like, yeah. send me the teaser deck. Let me look at the materials. Then we'll set up a uh, Zoom and we'll keep it to 20 minutes, be an introductory call. And and the founders kind of like that better. Everybody in the industry likes that better post-COVID. Is it's great. And it's super 15, democratizing,
0: too, because nobody has to come to, you know, I mean, honestly, Cost. whenever people are like, can you come to San Francisco and have a meeting with me? I'm always like, get in your what? car and come to Oakland. Oh, everybody always wants you to come there. The city. Yeah, is but like, I mean,
1: even like a meeting, it's like, w- yeah, what are I'm we like, talking uh, about here? Just no. jump on a Zoom, have a cup of coffee on Zoom. Like, yeah, jump on a Zoom, but I my, mean, even
0: pre-COVID, and now it's like you could be in room. any town, cool. you could be, you know, and and on the beach, sort of in feel a like, well, right? And why? F-? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I'm with you. I don't mean this to turn into a well, rant about democratizing VC, BT- but if you want to democratize VC, have inbound, and then yeah. use. Your time on outbound to find the, the, the founders that you want the underrepresented founders, the people in a different state like, yeah, we have to do the work too. We can't just sit here and wait to be introduced to people.
1: It's very simple to just look at, you know, a database like Crunchbase or a pitch book or to read the trades uh, and look for people doing interesting stuff and then look at their website, see if it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Check and see if there's any funding history in one of the venture databases and contact them, right? It's yeah. it's not that hard to do, folks. Um, but, you know, you have to have resources. And so a lot of times yeah. angels who are starting out, they don't have a lot of infrastructure. Now, look, you're coming in to launch in my second date of decade of investing. We have a lot more infrastructure here. We have researchers. We have people doing outbound. We have different devices, open scouting, you know, and other devices, uh, remote demo day, Founder University, we got a lot of different swings at bat, so I'm always trying to try different swings at bat, mm-hmm. uh, and then eventually, you know, maybe the Syndicate.com will have more of a platform feel. Right now, it's just like a landing page. Sign up, we'll send you a deal memo. It's very basic and simple, and I like it that way. Yeah. But eventually, you know, we have a little Slack experiment going on with some Syndicate members. We'll imagine if the 300 400 people who already signed up for the Syndicate.com/slash climate, if those three or four hundred people were in a room together talking to you, right, or some s- virtual space, it could be interesting totally
0: love yeah. it all right um, there's a yeah. dc sunday school there you go inbound Everybody. versus outbound That's and it. very excited stay tuned for today's this week in mm. climate startups got? interview we have landed like the whale the pied piper of the climate oh. startup universe jason jacobs of my climate journey mcj mm. he is a founder founded mm. run keeper Mm-hmm. and then oh got i love run yeah i know i told him i was like that's the the run right is how i trained for and ran my first and probably only half marathon <laughs> incredible <laughs> so yeah. thanks for that um and then founded this my climate journey podcast oh. as a way to just sort of learn about the climate space now as an investor is really Fantastic. like a big big name here and you are going to want to listen to this at one x one x, maybe a little fast. slower yeah This is an interview that is basically like riding a buck in Bronco. All right. Just trying to hang on.
1: All right, I want to quickly explain to you one crucial type of insurance that every startup needs to have and you need to know about it. It's called cyber insurance. And obviously, this covers hacks, which are happening constantly, you may not hear about them all the time, because people like to keep them quiet and resolve them. Well, in these crazy times, you need to be protected and you need to have cyber insurance. If you don't have business insurance, let's face it, you failed one of the first steps of being a proper CEO and founder, especially of a company backed by investors. So startups should look no further than our friends over at Imbroker. they have have technology to save you time and money. Their prices are up to 20% lower and they'll give you better coverage than the incumbents. You go from sign up to quote and purchase in just 10 minutes. And when you work with and broker instead of those slow incumbents, you're not dealing with these large lumbering corporations. Nope. Your sign up takes days, not weeks. And the process is completely transparent. There's no opaque pricing. There's no wasted time. It's just easy peasy lemon squeezy. So To instantly buy custom-built insurance for your startup, go to imbroker.com slash twist. And while you're there, you're going to get an extra 10% off by using the offer code twist, E-M-B-R-O-K-E-R dot com slash twist, and get that extra 10% off by using the offer code twist, and that lets them know you. you listen to them on the show. All right, great job, Imbroker. Without further ado, here's our interview for Climate Sundays.
0: I am so excited today to be talking to Jason Jacobs, who runs My Climate Journey, he is a podcast host and community manager at My Climate Journey, The Podcast, and a partner at MCJ Collective, calling himself an investor in training. I've been calling myself a baby VC, so I'm super excited to compare notes
3: about that. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Molly. I'm so excited to be here. I, I've not done much in terms of coming on other people's shows, and this is a legendary show, so what What a great icebreaker. <laughs> I love it. Well, I have been saying
0: actually pretty much since the moment I walked in the door that you were the guy we had to get because you're like the Pied Piper for so many people who are coming into the climate tech world, into the investment world, even as founders. And, um, you know, at the risk of making you restate the entire premise of your show, I want to ask you about your journey to this point. Also, I want to say though, before we start, I used Runkeeper to train for my first and only half marathon you were nice. of course famously up yeah, the co-founder and ceo of Runkeeper back in the day so like thanks for that it was a great experience well congrats on running your first half marathon and only so so where, far where, I mean, when was know, that man. it was like 2013 it's been a minute it's been a minute um, awesome so mcj so mcj yeah tell me what you're doing how did uh, how did you end up here and how's it been going
3: yeah well Runkeeper. um that was a, I've only worked in startups, but that was the first one that I founded. And, um, and it was a, uh, a long, bumpy ride. And, and, uh, it was kind of like, um, like a marathon at sprint pace, essentially. And there were several years in what I would call like prolonged wartime where it, it wasn't acute wartime. It was more like carbon monoxide kind of <laughs> wartime. Uh, but, um, ultimately we, you know, we, we got the company healthy and profitable and, uh, got our narrative and focus back and rebuilt the leadership team and were acquired uh, by ASICS, the big Japanese shoe company. And it was a great outcome uh, for everybody involved. Every class of investors made money. It was uh, great for the team. It, it was uh, life-changing for uh, me as, as, um, as one of the co-founders. And I, I stayed on and ran digital at ASICS for a couple of years, left, took some time off, and essentially just it kind of hit me as I was recovering how lucky I was and how many things completely outside of my control went into having that outcome. And I had some survivor guilt. I wanted to make my next chapter about purpose. I felt a duty to do so. And uh, climate was the most purposeful problem I could think of. And certainly a big source of anxiety for me, Uh, but I didn't know anything about it. And uh, initially I came in with the lens of um, now that I had a base hit or a double, like I'm de-risked. And so I can start another company, but this time do a moonshot type of, you know, ultra ambitious you know if it works it's huge otherwise it craters into the ground kind of thing and um uh so i went in with that lens and it was just too big a leap to try to build a company in climate given how little i knew about these domains so i tried to build a company so i picked the company building path versus the climate path and Mm -hmm. i tried to start another company in a in an area that i wasn't as passionate about and literally during that three or six months um that was when, so I was doing that. I got the band back together from Runkeeper, raised some money, started getting down the path. It was a pretty fascinating, awesome area, but that's for another day. But, um, uh, but the climate bad news kept coming. The IPCC one and a half degree report. Trump taking steps to withdraw from Paris. The symptoms getting more visible and obvious. The, I the site the scientific community foaming at the mouth. Nobody listening. Like I was just having a harder and harder time focusing on anything that wasn't climate change. So uh, about three and a half years ago, I still had almost all the capital in the bank. Uh, We just raised a little bit to get off the ground, returned it, uh, gave it back, um, and uh, came back into climate. But instead of coming into the lens of what kind of moonshot type company am I going to start, it was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know if I'll start a nonprofit. I don't know if I'll start a for-profit. I don't know if I'll run for office. I don't know if I'll join someone else's thing. I have no idea, but I'm just going to start by learning about climate change. That was three and a half years ago. And it's been a very organic process, just starting by talking a lot to lots of people, started sending regular updates monthly of the ground I was covering and what areas I was tackling next. Distribution list was growing. People from my old life started picking their heads up and heading down a similar path would come to me and say, what should I do? And it's like, I don't know what you should do, but I wish you could learn from all the people I'm learning from. So started recording those discussions with the podcast on hundreds of episodes at this point. Inbox started filling up people binging on the show. Those were awesome people, super engaged. They didn't know each other and set up a Slack community, which has now grown into thousands of people. And lots of um, co founders met in there. Nonprofits got started in there. Open source projects that are hatched in there. A bunch of hiring's gotten done. Companies raised money. Meetups in different cities all over the world. Um, started writing little angel checks is another way to learn. That evolved. Now we have a fund. We backed 60 climate tech companies in the last year and a half. And, um, Uh, I brought in four partners. We're getting ready to scale a lot. And yeah, but just such a weird kind of organic, unscripted type of story. And it's hard to explain what I do, which is why it just took me three minutes to answer a simple question.
0: (laughs) Uh No, that's great. Because now I have roughly 100 uh, follow-up questions on each chunk (laughs) of that. (laughs) So what, like, did the podcast come first? Were you sort of sitting there going, okay, I want to start this something. I'm not sure how
3: everything is content. Let me start there. Uh, no, literally, it was just let me start reading about climate and talking to the, the like people that are in the thick of the action with different perspectives. And given that I had heard my whole career has been in startups and given that I had heard that innovation gets more hype than it's worthy of um, as it relates to addressing climate change, I actually started by talking to lots of people that weren't working in startups so i talked to professors i talked to um, heads of ngos i I talked to ipcc scientists i talked to people in the national labs i I was just trying to cast a wide net and just start somewhere and start learning and then as i started pulling on threads it led to more threads and more introductions and those people were because we were coming out of the kind of the dark years where you know oh oh six oh nine and i i heard your episode with andrew Beebe like you know a lot of money went in and and um and then and and got set on fire and so a bunch of people in f- capital fled the space and um and so f- for whatever reason i b- probably because a lot of people were becoming um woken up to the gravity of the situation um mm-hmm. But I was just the, the, the person who happened to have no job while they w- were having, having that awakening and who didn't have time pressure to get a job. So therefore, I had the time to just learn full time. Um, and as I was out reach, uh, reaching out to these people, they would say, oh, it's so great to see new blood coming in. Like, welcome back. Like, I can't wait to see where you end up. Keep me posted on your progress. So then I started sending email mm-hmm. updates, almost like um, like you would send, to investors uh in, in the early days of a startup. Um yeah. but, but I didn't have a startup and I didn't have an investors. So when I started doing that, it was some forced accountability every month. And um and it would lead to more and more introductions, growing distribution lists. And um what started happening it was, you know, one piece was the people reaching out and saying, hey, like what sh- where should I start? What should I do? And and me not having an, a great place to point them, but talking to all these great people all day long and none of that knowledge getting shared. But another piece was i kind of missed building something and so um oh and then the the third piece was that for that false start i had it was essentially a content studio at the intersection of um uh uh, live tv and native mobile applications so it was like taking the hq trivia format and figuring out where else can you you can apply it beyond prize-based entertainment but when i was Mm -hmm. doing that i was behind the scenes but i kind of had the itch to be a host right um and so it's like, you know what? Why don't I just start a podcast? It would be fun. i would learned so much. It would give me something to build. Like, it's not a business. It's not a company, but it would be just a fun project. And it would be strategic for whatever I end up sinking my teeth into and climate. Um, uh, and then once I did the podcast, then people were listening and I was uncovering like, oh, it's not a ton of listeners, but the people listening are super engaged, super kind of strategic people. And they come from really diverse backgrounds, different industries different functions different geographies and they don't know each other and they're longing for a peer group like we should find a way to get these people together which is um we set up the slack room we had a first kind of ad hoc meetup that was community organized in san francisco just before the pandemic uh lockdown and i went to that and we did a live recording at that meetup but there were like 80 or 100 people there um Mm. and these were like like there were awesome people right It, it wasn't like the weakest of the pack that were fleeing from silicon valley tech it was like it was like awesome, you know, high octane, strategic, motivated people in the prime of their careers that were looking to like, come in and swing a big bat in this area, but they didn't know where to start like me. And those people kind of formed a tribe. um, And I just kind of lucked into being there right at the beginning of that, at least for this wave.
1: Listen, lots of founders are loosey-goosey with their personal numbers, we all know that. They put it on company documents, they use it for sales calls, and more. And that's where things get super messy. You, You don't know who's calling you, right? Is it a sales prospect? Is it a coworker? Or is it somebody from your kid's school? Is it spam? Well, Open Phone helps you create business phone numbers for you and your team. And it works through an app on your smartphone, very elegantly, or on your desktop, you just pick a number, you install the app, and you're done. There is no need to carry two phones like I do. And there's so many features you're going to love, including you know how we all create catch all emails like support at our Well, You can do something similar for a phone number, you can have a shared phone number with multiple employees fielding those incoming texts and the calls. What a brilliant idea. See what Open Phone can do for you. It's already affordable at a starting price of just ten dollars a month per user. So affordable, and Twist listeners can get an extra twenty percent off any plan for your first six months by signing up at OpenPhone.co/Twist. And if you have existing numbers from another service, no problem. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Open Phone can port them over for free. Just head over to O P E N P H O N E dot co slash Twist today. OpenPhone.co/Twist today.
0: Yeah. So, okay, so there you are, you're building this community. And now that I'm going to sort of try to take this like step by step all the way up to the fund. So now mm-hmm. you have this community and y- you've created a membership out of that, right, that people can, can pay for and can uh, come to these member specific events, you're working on perks around that. Like, talk to me about building that community, and how you see that evolving. Like, are they your investors now? Are they helping to sort of create a movement even
3: yeah well um so as the show's played out and we've done uh, hundreds of episodes at this point there's one of the things that's unique about mcj or maybe it's not unique but it's just different than a lot of others that i've come across is that climate touches everything and so it's not it isn't a sector it's every sector and no sector at, at the same time i mean we need to rewire our entire global economy right and um And what that means is that you have sector specialists in mobility, you have sector specialists in um, deep tech or in insurance or in AI or in Web3 or or um, fintech or things like that. Like you could build a climate company in any of those categories, plus, you know, a thousand others. Um, And so we are super broad, right? Not just innovation, but. Uh, or you know not just one type of innovation but lots of types of innovation and not just innovation but policy activism advocacy uh um you know government elected mm-hmm. officials democracy uh sh- sh- science um you know we had on the chief of staff for cop uh, i think it was cop 26 recently and so suit you know we've had like the head of the solar geoengineering lab at harvard and we've had you know like i haven't yet but i had one point i'd love to have on, have on the head of the coal miner labor union right and so it's like we really want to hear from the perspectives that that don't often get heard from but that really matter in the transition um and because of that we have a listenership who it's not just newcomers like me it's also people who've maybe been working on it for a long time but in one piece of it right and and because it's just a systems problem all these other pieces matter and they you know they're booked they're booked just going deep in whatever their piece is meaning this holistic view is really important um Mm -hmm. and so that's where the content comes in is on educating and it's not focused on the listeners it's just focused on me selfishly following my own intellectual curiosity and trying to learn but it enables listeners to go on that journey with me um which i think if if you're in the right frame of mind where you're hungry for that you really appreciate and if you're not in the right frame of mind, you find it boring and dry, and you'd rather go listen to Joe Rogan or something. Uh, <laughs> um, it, but 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 then those people who are serious, they they don't. It's like learning is like the gateway drug, right? And mm-hmm. so once they start learning, they're like, okay, you know, I'm like hundred episodes in, but I keep hearing about this community of people that are binging on the show, and those people are getting together in real life, and those people are forming ventures together, and those people are joining each other's companies, and those people are challenging each other's assumptions and they have book clubs and study groups and they they do you know small bite-sized collaboration and they do do they go on and build generational firms together like i think i'm ready to take that next step and find my people because Mm -hmm. wherever it is i am in my you know big cpg firm or at, at my traditional tech firm or wherever i am like i'm kind of an outlier because i'm super concerned about this and can't stop thinking about it but like you know i'm kind of more ready to act than it seems like the people to my left and to my right are and mm-hmm. how can i find more people like me um so so that's the roots of the of the community and um uh and as the i mean the community's grown it's interesting because we you know we have all the guests in the show we have all the members in the community we have the 60 something companies with the portfolio founders in fact and then we have over 300 Individual LPs who are largely people who've been handpicked, um, who, you know, happen to have some means, but they're, uh, you know, it's a, they're a good fit for us. The same reason we're a good fit for them. It's like they want to get closer to the action. They want to learn. They want to inform what to do with their capital and with their time. And, uh, they want to help and they think there's money to be made. Right. So it's kind of all those things. Um, yeah. so it's not, it's not like, uh, pitching fund to funds or, or, things like that um and and what that means is that there's this really great virtuous cycle it's like a flywheel um Mm -hmm. where we'll have a guest on the show we'll publish the episode a bunch of members will get in touch and several of them will get hired by that company and others will become customers of that company and then that founder is like man you guys are so helpful i want to be in business with you like i'm about to do a round you know i'd love a little check from you guys to get you know to get in business together and then uh You know, we get in business with them, and then given where we sit and everyone we know and what we see and touch, we can be helpful on the people side with you know customers and hires and media and you know non dilutive financing opportunities and you know follow on funding opportunities and just people. Um, and uh, and then you know they're like you know they'll tell their cohorts in YC, for example, like man, MCJ's been so helpful. Like you got to work with them if you're a climate company, and then we'll get deal flow, and then those founders, you know, when they go through series B and get some, you know, secondary and have some dry powder, they'll become LPs. And so it, it just, right. um, and, and then several of their team will then become members, right? And so it's, a, the, the cycle continues. So what, we, I mean, in a way, we're not a fund that happens to do content and community. We have these three legs of the stool. We have mm-hmm. the me- media arm, we have a membership arm, and we have a capital arm, but each is kind of an MVP. And directionally, we think there's an expansion path for each independently, we think that over time, the the you know the whole should equal an increasingly um, greater uh, total than the you know than the sum of its parts. But we also think there's other legs of the stool we can add over time, um, and it's all kind of in service of well, building a generational firm and having profits because profits can drive more impact. But at the end of the day, it's impact that drives us. We yeah. know though, if we set a bunch of money on fire, then we're not going to s- stay in business, let alone grow. And so, if we want to grow our impact, we need to grow the profits that we're you know delivering to our stakeholders over time yeah at what point did the community
0: and the content become the capital um like when did you start the fund and and was it yeah. people just saying like hey you're 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 rolling here you're crushing it start investing for us
3: yeah well um I started um so I was recording these episodes and i uh, and we had this member community and um and started thinking about oh and then um st- you know initially had avoided innovation but then ultimately realized that hey like innovation isn't the only thing that matters by any stretch but it is a pillar that does matter and that's a relief because my whole career has been innovation you know early stage mm-hmm. in technology innovation that's what so I, like, I love can i can i stop uh-huh. you there to clarify a little bit when you say you yeah. had
0: avoided innovation what do you mean
3: Oh, I mean, like when I was coming in, my whole career has been in small, high growth startups backed by venture capital. When I uh-huh. first started my climate journey, I was not reaching out to people working in start- climate startups. I Got was it. reaching out to. So you weren't people.
0: thinking in the tech space then you were thinking, like, how do we how do I understand this entire climate
3: crisis? Y- yeah, I wanted, I, w- I wanted to get a holistic view before I went deep anywhere. Gotcha, um, gotcha. Yeah. Yep. And, okay. yeah and, and because I was deepest in tech already coming in. I avoided it but as I started coming back around to it because kind of the overall frame was starting to f- become clear yeah. um, then I said okay now let me dig into tech and so I started talking to founders and um, and then I said I want to get closer to the action and understand what's happening in these companies because I don't know anything about these domains and so I took a portion of my personal uh, assets and essentially earmarked it the way that you would earmark to go back to grad school or something like tuition it wasn't about financial investment it was about learning um and i just wrote intentionally small checks and um and tried to get into companies where there were teams that felt compelling that were in areas that felt like big levers for decarbonization um that had ideas that intuitively made sense to my untrained ears um and had some smart institutional capital either in there or coming alongside and I just started writing these little checks. I did probably, I think, 12, 15 of those. And um, some of those started raising follow ons started pointing together some SPVs to take bigger allocations in subsequent rounds. And the other thing is that my small checks for learning started growing and I started writing some real personal checks. And, mm-hmm. um, and that wasn't because I had some big liquidity event or something. It was because I was starting to get my bearings and see what conviction felt like. And um, in some of these cases, you know, I might have done a, you know, a 25 instead of a 10. But if I had the capital, I would have done a 250 or a 500, but I didn't and I wasn't going to get it. And so it started feeling like I was cutting into bone, not having a bigger piggy bank. Um, uh, there was a subset of the member community that is ultra liquid and increasingly, you know, but maybe they're booked. Maybe they're a CTO at, a, at, at one of the big, um, uh, you know, pillar technology companies. And they've already decided that they want uh, climate to be, the next phase of their career, but they're booked, like, as a senior executive at this publicly traded company, and, like, you know, the type of capital to to commit to, you know, an emerging manager like this is, uh, I mean, a rounding error for them, but they can get closer to the action, and for me, it's quite meaningful. So those conversations started coming inbound, and um, it's funny because I started thinking about raising a traditional fund, but I was concerned because I'd been learning in public across everything else. And the SEC rules about um general solicitation and clamming up and not being able to talk about it when you're raising like that really bugged me. Um mm-hmm. not about fundraising but about just like I don't want to be muzzled about by like about anything. Um yeah. and, and so that was one concern. Another concern was um if I wanted the fund to be of any size, I probably needed at least one or two institutional anchors and I, at least at that time talking to institutional peas when I was kind of like cowboy in the wild west felt like um the analogy that, that i said before when asked about this is like ben affleck from goodwill hunting where he he's got the suit on with his like greased down hair and his like white sweat socks and he's like t- totally fish out of water like that's me talking to these like you know uh pension funds i was sitting there in like my you know running sh- running outfit you know just uh you know just not not wanting to play that game um And, um, it was when I was trying to navigate that, that was right around the time that Angelus was coming out with the rolling fund structure and Mm -hmm. going back to the runkeeper days. Um, we built one of the first apps in the app store in 2008, like literally there, right at launch and, um, and felt our way in the dark. And there were some downsides of being that early, but that was also really exciting. And we kind of thrived when, you know, in that mode where it's early and fluid and fast changing and fortune favors the bold and, um. Like I don't know, I kind of I like that phase. And um, rolling funds are in the same spot, right? Where we built one of the first rolling funds. Now we have one of the biggest, and um, we have a second rolling fund that we added, which is um, you know writes bigger, more co- much fewer, bigger, more concentrated checks, and primarily, but not exclusively, uh, fo- select follow-ons from the core fund portfolio. Um, but we, uh, yeah, we've been kind of riding that wave, and it's worked really well because it's been an easy entry point to get a bunch of as we get new members. They come in and it's almost like uh, it's like at a car wash when you have a basic car wash and you can upgrade to like the wheel wax or the interior cleaning. It's like you can be a member. Right. Or you can be a member and become an LP. Right. right, um, right. Uh, and it, it, so it's, it's been really great so, uh, so far. But um, yeah, but I would still I would call it an MVP. Um, yeah. I think lo- longer term, uh, you know, we want to start growing up these pillars and um, and each will will have to think about how to take the magic of what's been working and scale it a lot and then what are the elements that we need to retain and then what are the elements that we need to you know blow up and rethink as it relates to structure resourcing model et cetera? yeah
0: how now as you're thinking about investing i wonder you know having spent so much time immersed in all of the aspects of this problem and there are many did you distill that to a thesis in terms of investing
3: uh no and yeah. um part of that is um so so there's people spend a lot of time are like um uh i think chris saka calls it a green on green crime uh where <laughs> um <laughs> like there's just a lot of infighting about like you know renewables nuclear efficient totally. software fusion, like yep, this you know and that. policy mm-hmm. you know activism like you know f- uh oil and gas needs to die you know oil and gas companies are a key part of the solution like natural gas is a bridge like natural gas is a long-term piece like you know adaptation resilience me you know matters like adaptation resilience is for quitters right like uh, yeah um (laughs) it's dizzying right and and we really i mean we want to pressure test to make sure the stuff we're doing is impactful but at the same time like we just want to grow the top of the funnel with like smart people making thoughtful bets and we really think that um, there's some obvious things that do like when people say we don't need breakthrough innovation we need you to just deploy what we've got it's like you know okay yes we need to deploy what we've got but like the types of people in capital that would go f- for like frontier type of breakthrough innovation are different buckets and different skill sets and different makeups than That so they're not actually in competition with each other. The answer is both, right? And and yeah, and so we just want more, right? And not just blindly more, like you know, let's go like throw a billion dollars at some unproven ethanol thing or something like that. That's not what I'm saying. Like I'm, but like if it's a smart team, like maybe mission driven, right? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Like but like some of the stuff, like like look at what Stripe's doing. Like who would have ever predicted that a payments company could be making such a big impact on climate and of course i hear the critics on my ear like well but their dollars are so small and they're doing carbon removal and carbon removal is a distraction and it's like but this is a payments company like forget about let's you know we can still have those debates but like this is a payments company that is actually like generating a good deal of funding for this stuff that you know was was not able to get funded this stuff is starting to progress it's still early but it Mm -hmm. is starting to progress and they're setting an example and inspiring much deeper pocketed um Uh, cohorts from other pockets of industry to follow suit like what they're doing is amazing right Mm -hmm. and like you would have never found in drawdown, like, well, the hundredth drawdown solution is for the payments company to, you know. Right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, so like, just, I'm like, sorry, we, that is not refrigerants. We cannot talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So we we look in, I mean, we look across yeah. sectors and and we just we just look for like things that inspire us. Um and and we have a we caught a blog post test. Like we try to be as public as we can about these investments whenever the founders allow us. And yeah. um and when we write the post, it's like You know, we know that our LPs in the aggregate, different ones are motivated differently, but we know in the aggregate and our member community, for that matter, they're, you know, it's kind of one part um, profit and one part um, impact, right? Mm -hmm. And so anything we do needs to stand uh, uh, on on its own two feet for each of those independently um, of of each other. And if if it really shines in one and and doesn't pass the bar in the other, we shouldn't do it, regardless of which way that goes. But it could come from anywhere, and the way we get around that lack of sector expertise is that we're not leading these rounds, we're not setting terms, we're not taking board seats. We we're, these are small checks as part of larger rounds with strong institutional leads, and in many cases, they're leads that we work with again and again that are sharing their diligence, that are out talking to the customers, that are you know that are pressure testing the IP. They're like doing all the things that we would be doing if we were leading, but we're intentionally not leading, which allows us to you know do a a fusion investment one day and a fertilizer investment the next day and a battery investment the next day and an insurance investment the day after that and a mobility investment the day after that and a carbon marketplace investment the day after that right is Mm -hmm. is because we surround ourselves with expertise and we you know draft behind some of the diligence of our strong institutional partners, um, probably two or three dozen of which at, the, at this point are personal LPs in our fund from a bunch of the top funds across the venture capital asset class as well as private equity. Yep. Yeah. What? So what is your check size then, generally? Uh, the core fund today, um, 100 to 250K is standard. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done, as I mentioned, I think 60 of those over the last year and a half. Um, a lot of them are seeds and A's, but we've done a bunch of Bs and Cs and Ds as well um, from companies who's, you know who are building category-leading companies in whatever their category is that are very impactful for climate that are breaking out from the pack whose CEOs are probably LPs in our fund, right? Yeah. Um, so it, it it just kind of... Um, the machine feeds itself. And then the Opportunity Fund is new. So our first quarter was this quarter, uh, Q1. And, um, and that one today, uh, it's $1 to $2 million checks. And again, primarily, but not exclusively, select follow-ons from the core... Portfolio still not pricing, still not leading, still not setting terms, still not taking board seats. But you know the way our 250k check is a you know is a small part of a five million dollar round. The opportunity fund's million you know 1.5 million check is a small piece of that 50 million round. Um, uh, and then you know we're starting to hit some constraints. Um, you know constraints around uh, capital under management as it relates to sophisticated LPs and some complexity around um, the rolling fund structure and um, and also constraints around long term planning given that rolling funds have a one quarter deployment period at a time so right. it's you know whereas a traditional fund you can you can look much further out so you know wait we, so we, what do you mean we, constraints like you need to get bigger bigger <laughs> well, how again <laughs> well we need <laughs> you're outgrowing um, your box we need um we need a bigger pool of capital and we mm-hmm. need a longer term pool of capital and so we don't know yet what we'll do i'm certainly not announcing anything or talking about anything I mean you can but, this is a great opportunity for that um <laughs> no and and that and that's the kind of thing that would de- would definitely get us in trouble but um uh but but I think that's the type of stuff that we think about because if we want to build a generational firm then yeah. then we need a structure in place that enables us to actually plan as it relates to things like core team member headcount and salaries and uh um and stuff like that because it's it's that it's that team that then feeds the beast of the differentiation and the value that then gets us the access to put the capital to work. Um, but that team costs money. And if, if broader macroeconomic conditions, you know, change dramatically overnight and half your LP base goes away through nothing that you, you know, factors outside of your control. Yeah. Then, then, you know, like it's scenarios like that, that, that we're trying to avoid. So we don't know what the answer is, but that's the kind of stuff we're thinking about. Got it. Um, tell me about impact
0: you mentioned you know there's profit and then there's impact are you tracking it i noticed on your website like all your portfolio camp- companies fall into categories um you know whether it's energy or water or decarbonization are you keeping any kind of metrics around impact
3: well some of our peers uh look at things like um gigatons you know like if it if it's you know, we need to see that that it'll, you know, reduce or remove a half a gigaton per year of of emissions when it's, you know, wh- upon success, right? When mm-hmm. it's in its its fullest form or or, or things like that. And um, we're big believers that there should be some accountability and that we should be tracking, and reporting on impact. I think one challenge that we have is that. We think that gigatons are certainly important, but um but it's not the only thing that matters, at least in our worldview. And um, for example, um, if we if there were a company that were out there um taking workers from dying industries and reskilling them to um, you know, to be out there building the infrastructure to power the clean energy transition, um, then we think that's highly impactful, but would that pass the half a gigaton test? Right, probably right. not. Right, but we should still do that investment and be proud of it. Right, um, and or um, what, what? What's another example? Um, let's say there's a media company that is out there winning hearts and minds and like hitting people between the eyes and getting them to say, "Aha!" Like this is the challenge of our lifetime, and I need to do something about this from wherever I sit. Right. Yep. Um, and it inspires instead of like the you know a few thousand people in the mcj community it inspires like you know 50 million people right um well is that impactful for the climate movement i think it is right Mm -hmm. well how many gigatons is it is it is it it responsible for pulling out of the air or otherwise reducing right well that's a really i don't know if you can do that math right but we should But that 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 um that passed our climate test so um so we don't know yet what the right metrics are for us but it's something that we absolutely think that we need long term and um uh and i would say will will come and for now what we rely on is just when we uh when we do an investment or do anything for that matter when we have a guest on the show what like you know we we're public about it as public as we can be and um and we feel accountability to explain ourselves and um, our decision making with the understanding that sometimes we have blind spots and that the feedback helps us get better and smarter over time.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I have created, I think, what I'm I consider this very amorphous bucket for the things you're describing that I call behavior. You know, like I'm into gigatons. I'm into behavior. How can you adapt consumer behavior in some way or change it or change people's behavior or change the way that companies operate? And then I'm into systems, which yeah. you've talked about before, you know?
3: Yeah, and it really is. It's like, a, like if it, when I think about it, I don't, like, people are like, what are the technologies that you're most excited about? It's like, look, there are certainly technologies that can, that can make a big difference, but I don't really look at that lens. Like, yeah. I look at more through the lens of, like, the, like the same flywheel that i think about for mcj i think about for solving the problem on a broader level because i have no misconception that like little mcj is somehow gonna you know solve a problem of, of this magnitude on, a, on our own by by any stretch the opposite of that i mean we're just a little a, l- a little pebble in the ocean um but i do think that the same way there's these kind of virtual cycles and flywheels as it relates to the stuff that we're doing in our little world um those things can happen on the broader scale as well. And so as a platform, how do we facilitate that? And we do that today with, you know, with education, with convening, with programming, with, um, uh, with breaking down silos, with making connections, with, uh, with putting capital to work in in thoughtful ways. Um, and we'll hopefully do more things over time. Um, but it is all about kind of feeding the beast in terms of that flywheel of change, like that, like the snowball going down the mountain and, the 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 bigger it gets, the faster it goes. The faster it goes, the bigger it gets. Yep, a drip becomes a flood. Yeah. Yep, yep.
0: What do you um, What do you wish existed? Like, if you could order up a climate company, what would be super meaningful for you? Huh? Um,
3: yeah, I. I mean, I I have some itches to scratch that aren't necessarily big things on the um you know uh, if you if you look at spreadsheets of gigatons and things like that but just yeah. personal per- personal stuff like um uh, you know we got an EV in the last few months and um and we have a slate roof and uh we have natural gas that powers our home and you know I'm using Arcadia today so so that's so I I can push some paper around to you know to compensate for that outside of the home but there's still natural gas that's like powering our home right and yeah. and um and how do i think about you know we we have one ev and one fossil car so when we replace that fossil car it's going to be with an ev but like what will it do to our like you know to our like can our house handle two evs as an example yeah. and uh and should we be powering that with clean energy and what are our options could i go with solar like it, should like to the tesla stuff make sense and what about a generator and you know, heat pumps and like, it's all, I don't know. It's pretty confusing for me. And it's just like, it was confusing for me when I did a home renovation without this lens. So, you know, when we first moved in many years ago, um, I, I'm just not good at that stuff. And I want someone to be able to hold my hand through the whole process. And as far as I can find, that doesn't exist. So there, there's an example, but you can find like, companies are going through that same thing they're saying well i want to improve my footprint but in order to improve my footprint, i first need to understand my footprint and there's all these things out there saying they're in the carbon accounting bucket but how can i tell one from the next and what are they good at what are they bad at where are their blind spots how much work in this is it a real pain in the ass is this going to suck all my resources and kill my profitability so that i'm going to report bad you know bad quarters to the street and lose my job right uh, yep. so, um, you can't yeah. like
0: you can't see me right now so you cannot see how excited <laughs> i am because you have described literally exactly the thing that i want to exist the, the the soup to nuts decarbonization like one-stop shopping right the angie's list because i really do believe in the power of the consumer i really do think that there's a lot of value in giving them the choices to make and aggregating it all in one place and saying here's how you do it here's how you swap out the hvac here's how you make your home resilient here's how you get the green roof here's how you get the you know de- the off the grid thing like there's just so much opportunity to somebody described it recently actually as like to be the apple of this space to be the thing that just sort of abstracts out all the hard stuff
3: yeah but 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 like what you hear from the climate community or certain elements of it is uh-huh it's like um, you're trying to shop your way out of the climate crisis i know (laughs) well well either that or it's like well oh sure the ev is greener but like where do you think that ev that ev is getting its energy from coal right and it's like okay well but if the demand is there for the evs because they cracked the nut on the design side and actually build a better product like tesla has done um then with more people driving them then it makes the business case easier to you know to accelerate the transition to other energy sources and so like you can walk and chew gum like what should we should we just not push anyone to drive evs until we get the you know the coal figured it's like there's a bunch of chicken and eggs and and you you have to just kind of keep putting one foot in front of the other and take the leap that the other pieces are going to catch up and that's a that's just um that's an element that i feel like gets missed by a lot of people maybe because they're just used to looking at the here and now versus being able to um to dream and then they would say. You, you know your dreaming is not rooted in reality right yeah, and and the yeah. truth is somewhere in the middle like yep. you need to be a pragmatist but you also need to be an optimist and a dreamer and and you have to like you know in order to find new oceans you have to have the courage to lose sight of the shore kind of thing and and it's just, just a bunch of pitchforks out when when we're all on the same team i know I yeah. could, i could not
0: agree with you more it's like it it's an everybody in the pool moment and it seems like I mean, it seems like that maybe is some of the value that all of these new, you know, this wave of new climate tech investors and this wave of new startup CEOs can bring, which is, is, it is very true that people, you know, when I was covering this space as a journalist at Marketplace, it was really important for me, I think, to be like, I'm not a long time environmental journalist, there's value in that there's a value in a different type of thinking. And even though Silicon Valley is not going to, you know, Solve this problem with a silver bullet technology, although, like, maybe it is. Um, there is value in a different kind of thinking and in not getting bogged down in all of the history that's gotten us to this point. Like, we are going to have to make hard trade offs, but we're also going to have to be able to bring a lot of Im- imagination to this.
3: I wrestle with that balance all the time. Cause on the one hand, um, I think that a bunch of, if I just look with my entrepreneur hat, a bunch of uh, companies that have gone to be hugely successful. Um, required beginner mind because there was just too much scar tissue in a given yes. category beginner uh, minds is such a great phrase yeah so it's like I'm coming in with beginner mind and so it's like I kind of relish that position but at the same time um, the deep institutional knowledge is invaluable too and I don't want to make I don't want to be the guy that comes in and repeats mistakes because because he didn't heed the warnings from people that 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 lived it before and could have easily, told me if I had only listened but at the mm-hmm. same time I don't want to let the scar tissue um get in the way of the unbridled op- optimism and ignorance um that that is sometimes required to to make things work like that that's a really hard because you don't you don't want to be reckless but you don't um you, you you to some degree you that blind optimism is is required and and so how do you reconcile those two I don't yeah. know it sounds like I mean you've brought that not to take us into
0: therapy land but you've mentioned this a couple times li- now like are you feeling a little beat up? Like are you getting pushback?
3: Uh I mean, I just feel like um I feel like we do our best and we don't always get it right, but we learn in public and that's a path we're committed to and I think as we grow and our stature grows, I think that um I, it's just kind of the i mean it's the world we're living in now right i mean right. i think anyone who's in the public eye is feeling beat up and it's, it's not the like internet i'm, su- I'm yeah. super in the public eye but i'm i'm more in the public eye than if i was just working in the shadows uh and so i feel it but then the more in the public eye that i get or anyone gets the the more they might feel um that way so i um on the one hand i i certainly um uh know that no matter what we do we're never going to make everybody happy and we're going to keep doing stuff for you know for as far as the eye can see and hopefully more stuff and bigger stuff um and and so i'm going to need thicker thick skin to just make it through that but on the other i um i want people to call out our bullshit and our blind spots and and so uh it's i think it's a necessary path um but it isn't always an easy one even if it's healthy yeah definitely
0: yeah. Um, well, Jason, I hope that you will come back regularly and update us on all the things you're building. This has been such an awesome conversation. I'm like,
3: so inspired by what you're doing. And I know I'm not the only one. Well, it's great that you are uh, turning your attention to this area as a platform because you have a big platform that's, you know, been interested in a lot of areas over time. And it's really great to see that that climate tech is becoming one of them because, uh, you know, you and and the The platform that you sit on swing a big bat and are very influential so um you know people like you that turn your attention this way can can bring about a lot of good and we need both we need the veterans who have been in the trenches for a long time and we need newcomers like like you and i um uh and and hopefully they can meet in the middle and figure out how to play nice together and and collaborate yeah everybody in the pool jason jacobs thanks so much for the time today i appreciate it thank you molly thanks for having me
2: Hi everyone producer nick here i want to tell you about the sas syndicate if you're a founder of a SaaS company with a product and market our investment team wants to talk to you head over to the syndicate.com slash sas s-a-a-s to apply to raise from the sas syndicate and you can join jason syndicate of over 9,000 accredited investors at the syndicate.com producer justin here no cool startup Com. our next event is on april 27th and if you want to learn how to invest in startups from the world's greatest angel investor and no we're not talking about chris sacca then head to angel.university to apply the four-hour workshop costs 300 dollars, and all proceeds are donated to charity to date we've donated over one hundred seventy five thousand dollars to various charities and you can see the full list at angel.university slash charity